everybody, I'm Roxy. And I'm Priska. And we are the Two Hardy Girls! We're just two horny goats climbing the mountain of life, eating Asian American stereotypes for breakfast. Everybody, welcome! Welcome to. Saison 3! Uh, saison 3! <laughs> Santi, oh, welcome! Santi. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's so exciting, it's number 3! Oh my god, the lucky 3, the auspicious 3s, you know what I'm talking three. about? Why is 3 lucky? Tell me, because all I can think about is like the Trinity from Christianity. And all I can think about is 1, 2, 3, you and me, you and me. It just feels great because it feels like we've gotten through the terrible twos. And yeah. a lot of people have said that, yeah, you made it past the sequel, but yeah. are you going to come back Ooh, after that? You okay. know what I mean? Yeah. Do you feel like we made it through our sophomore slump okay? I think we made it through great. I mean, <laughs> I know that we had a little bit of a teaser episode last week, yeah. but tell me, what was it like during your sabbatical? Like, what came up for you? A lot of things came up for me. I definitely like faced some like, you know, I think it was like seasonal affective disorder, but like in the summer, because I love the fall. I love the winter, especially in L.A. There's nothing to hate about it. Yeah. But I think being, you know, just in Chino, it's like 105 degrees every single day. And it was just kind of oppressive after a while. Yeah. Um, So I think that was getting to me. And I was just I felt like trapped inside my house, my head. Um, But, you know, one of the things I finally did was I cleaned out my office. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you go tease. No, um, I should have like shared a photo or something. But I was like in the throes of depression. And part of the things I did was I kept Anything that we like moved into the house or like, you know, we didn't know where to put. I was like, just put it in my office. It was almost like a self-sabotage type of thing. You know, you made it into a storage space. It was a storage space. And I was like in this like tiny little corner. And when I would zoom with people, it literally looked like I was, you know, in a bunker somewhere. You know, I was like someone someone had kidnapped me and I was like trying to zoom to you from that space. It took my sister coming home to kind of get get me energized enough to do something about it. Mm -hmm. But I was like. I'm doing this for myself. I'm doing this for my mental health. I'm doing this so I don't feel like I'm drowning in tasks, in things. And it was kind of like a metaphor for what I was going through internally. Because you've been in that office. We've recorded in there. It's really dark in there. It's really dark. Yeah. And, and with all the boxes around us, it helped yeah. with the sound isolation. But yeah. it, it's it's a little bleak. I just have to talk about, like, you know, your house being an ongoing project. Because yeah. it is an overwhelming, daunting task. It's so normal to feel overwhelmed by that. Yeah. Especially since you're like, okay, just one room at a time yeah. like every time I talk to you you're like yeah so we're working on this now for like this now and I'm like you've been there for so long like, I know what? I feel like we've done nothing you know we've um, lived there for a full mm. year almost yeah and it's kind of crazy I think I think finances were a problem. I think moving, you know, when we went to, um, this was right before the break, but we did go to um, Oregon and we went to, you know, up to my aunt's place and we drove the, you know, 15 hours to Bend and 15 hours down in a U-Haul. Yeah. Um, And moving a lot of that stuff was very helpful and just, I know it's like objects are not necessarily like the things that, I'm not saying like, oh, materials are things that are going to make you happy. But for me being reconnected with all the things that I had carefully picked out, um, it was kind of like a reawakening. You know, mm. just kind of like, oh, shit. It was almost like getting a box full of things that someone had picked just for you because I had picked it for me. Right. But it, it was just sto- stored away during the pandemic. And so kind of being reconnected with that and a lot of things that I had purchased or put together, you know, we put a home together in Ashland. Um, so that was really helpful just to kind of 
uh, I don't know, not be so stressed financially, but just take all the things that I'd bought for myself or, or, you know, amassed on my own and, and putting them back into utilitarian spaces in the house was actually like so huge for my mental health. I, I, I don't even know why. We need to start thinking about how we bloom where we're planted. Mm. And yes, your conditions of your environment. Like these are things that like we never really knew about or cared to think about when we were younger. Yeah. But it's so true. Like I recently had like a, you know, pest infestation in oh, my boy. house. And you know how much I love my space. Yeah. Like I've made it into a fucking space oh. jungle aquarium sanctuary. It's an oasis. Thank you. Yeah. From the city. You're like in a, you're in like a little tree house above the city. Yes. And then I'm um, also got to give a quick shout out to Tropics Inc, which I shouted out last week. What's but up? Um, they just sent me like a beautiful, uh, Shiflera tree today that I okay. put in my bedroom. Uh, okay. <laughs> and Charlize Theron is like, excuse me, excuse me. Like she jealous of you now, bitch. Yeah. Are you ready? Let's go. (laughs) So it's like, you know, this is a really big thing for me. And I've just been thinking about like, okay, like this pest infestation has really traumatized me and like made me feel like my space isn't safe but like I had to learn how to deal with it I had to learn to protect my space and learn to nurture it and like defend it in a way and so like after they delivered this tree in today I was like holy shit, this is really where I'm blooming because all of these people came in. They're like, wow, like you really do love your, your home and you love your plants. Like they could feel it, you know? Right. And so it's just a nice reminder uh, to me. And hopefully you take away something from this quote as well, is that like, it's expensive and it takes time and effort and sweat and tears um, and a lot of trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it's where you're going to bloom if you take care of your roots first, you know, even as I'm talking about it, I'm realizing, you know, I feel a certain amount of guilt. And I think I read a tweet this morning. It was like, one day I woke up and I just felt guilty for the rest of my life. Like, you know, well, like, you know, I just feel a certain amount of guilt of, oscillating all day between like, I'm so appreciative for what I have, but also like, I want to make this space like a representation of, uh, of myself and of what I find comfort in and what I find beauty in and what I find joy in. And so oftentimes I find myself standing completely still almost because I spend so much energy pushing myself each way. But it's such a complicated situation already because as millennials, it's like we are in a very sticky economic situation. Like the society, the the foundations of our economic law is very unstable right Right. now. But, you know, we were raised by people who said that hard work equals Mm -hmm. results. I recently had a friend who, um, she lives in a very nice apartment, a studio in downtown LA, and she said she's moving. And I said, why? And she said... Um, I don't deserve, I don't feel like I earned this place. Oh, fuck. And it's true because, you know, um, she was seeking help, you know, from other places during the pandemic and she was going through a lot of, you know, just change in her life. But I resonated with that. Oh yeah. Because there's something about like feeling like you earned a place. Like if I was in this place a year, more than a year ago where I don't feel like I've earned the income to support myself here, I would have also felt that same way. Like it's like for me, like it. I can't imagine having a house Yeah, because I'm just like, there's so many things tied to this house. It's so true. It's like, it's your mom's place. It's like, it belonged to your community. It belonged. There's like a lot of differing factors attached to it. And you're like, and it's responsible. It's like under my care right now. And I also want to make it into my own space, but it's hard navigating that because it's not so clean cut, right? It's not clean cut. I think that I I really resonate and and relate to that so much because yeah, I think part of it and, and the joke I always make when people come over, I was like, 
I, I, it's too fucking big. And I, and I mean that in a way where I'm like, I appreciate the space. I really do because a lot of people don't have it, but, I, and I understand like, I beat myself up for not being more grateful for it, See? you know? But a lot of our other friends yeah. are also going through this as well. Yeah. You know, they're just like, the house is so big, but it's also like not mine. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's like we, a lot of us, are, a lot of people are in your situation. But it's hard to talk about because it, it's tied to family. And, you know, um, I think, you know, with Asian families, it has its own circle of guilt, you know, um, cycle of guilt even. And I, I think it's a tricky thing to talk about because, we are so grateful to our parents. Our parents have given us everything. And yet, you know, we still have our own like Americanized feelings that we have to like acknowledge are real and, and, and manage them. You know what I mean? This is crazy because yeah. I could feel this becoming a topic, yeah. but like, yeah. um, I just want to add one more thing before cool. we talk into our main course of the day. Cause we got but a big one. We got a huge we got a one. So this today. is just like a juicy appetizer for y'all. But like Prisca, <laughs> it's like, um, I have a friend, um, who is in a situation where, you know, they're in a, a polycule situation, okay, right? Yeah. One of their roommates is Asian. The mom wants to like purchase the house for them. Oh, but no. So they, but she has purchased a house for all their other siblings. So it's like common practice. And uh, has right. also promised that like, I will not interfere. Yeah. But common practice, but common strings. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah. And, and so we all know yeah. like the insinuation behind that, yes. like, is a form of control, yeah. but through our parents' love language, control is also love. It is. So it's like, if you reject that control, yeah. like you are fucking entitled. Totally. But we're not, but, but we're not. So it's like constantly it's, unlearning that, right? Yeah. It, it flips on either side. Like, I think my mom came over the other day and was like, why is that there? You know? And I was like, oh my God, like, this is our house. Like we live here where we should feel autonomy. But at the same time, when my mom says something like that, I, I want to respect and honor it. But then it makes me afraid to change and do anything and not changing and not doing anything then cycles back and makes me unhappy. And I just feel a little bit trapped. And I know we do have a lot of friends going through this where it, because of the pandemic, we've taken housing from family and we're all it's its own like psychological cage. And it's like there's no right or wrong way to yes. navigate it. It's very complex, which is a great segue into yes. our main topic today. Okay, Bussy, <laughs> tell the people what's our big topic today. So Let's going, not dance around the subject anymore. Into that, going into <laughs> that. No, no. Thank you for sharing all that, Prisca, yeah. because it, we were talking about like gray area. Yeah. Right. And so um, this has been a topic topic that I've been wanting to talk about yeah. for a very long time. And of course, Prisca is so great. She's like, let's take our time to really like do our research and talk to people yes. and like how to convey ourselves accordingly, not during Mercury retrograde, which thank <laughs> God is over so that people do not misconstrue yes. what we're saying in this episode. But this, I, I'm sure a lot of you are feeling this way as yeah. well, but it talks about our cancel culture and the fragility of quote unquote wokeness, yep. right? Mm -hmm. Now, before y'all come at me, because I know mm -hmm. some of you may be coming at me, Roxy, <laughs> you know, like being woke is great. Yes, of course it's yes. great. It's great to be having conversations, but are we having these conversations? Yes. Or are we jumping to conclusions? Right. Where are we being hypocritical? You know, 100%. where are we calling other people out for things that we're actually doing, uh, you know, the pendulum swings both ways. So in the opposite extreme of whatever you're calling out, like you could be on the wrong side of things as well. So, you know, hypocrisy, all of these things, it's, I think it's something we need to examine, but it's tough. I was personally a little scared of doing this. Yeah. And because, I really wanted to do No, this. yeah. And like we came up with the topic and it was like, it, it, we both knew it to be true, but it's tricky to talk about because 
I don't know. It's so easy for a topic like this to become unwieldy. Yes. But I think it's like what you were talking about, the pendulum swinging, yeah. right? What's happening now is the binary extremism right. of both sides. So it's like, it's great to be whether you believe whatever you believe, yeah. but it's like it's becoming two binary conversations mm-hmm. instead of one cohesive one with Absolutely. differing stances that, you know, so for us, it's really just about creating space for discussion, yes. which is going to be, you know, the main course of this topic. But basically how this came about was that like, you know, especially in the pandemic, we uh, we live pretty much online. Yeah. And I just remember, do you remember there was like this whole time before the world opened up Prisca where people were just getting canceled fucking left and right Chrissy yeah. Teigen was getting canceled like yeah. you know like I um, don't even Army I can't Hammer even was list them it was so long ago there, there was just everybody, oh yeah for being a cannibal yeah, everybody was getting canceled yeah. and um I, I think for me it arose it triggered me a lot because I'm a filmmaker right. and I'm not an actor but if mm-hmm. I were an actor if I have said something wrong or if it was conveyed the sure. wrong way maybe 20 years ago when I was just starting out on Twitter as an 18 year old right. I could be hunted down for it yeah. right yeah. so then it just made me think about like people in the spotlight needing to be perfect and having a clean history which is just like not what humans are no 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 because we are always evolving and changing and you know to your point like I got on Twitter back in like 2008 right back when you could text to tweet like you can actually you could actually sms wow you could sms to tweet oh. like yeah do you remember that yeah <laughs> you were way beyond I, like, was me. <laughs> tweeting like via t9 you know wow and and i also yeah anyway but i used to tweet about like very christian topics which is great but like you know i had a certain stance on homosexuality at the time that i don't agree with now mm-hmm. and i've changed a lot since then because mm-hmm. i've left the church and i've i've completely shifted my entire paradigm based on my life experiences so i think the idea of Like, it's tough, right? Because it's a slippery slope. Any logical person would be like, all right, if you've done some fucked up fucking shit, yeah, like you deserve to be canceled. But I think what gets tricky is when people being complex beings have good and bad things about them. Where do we draw the line? I don't even know if a line is even necessary, but when and how um, can we create a road to redemption for, for certain individuals? You know, yeah, I just think that you have to be doing something super unethical and fucked up to deserve being canceled. Like Harvey Weinstein. Yep. It's easy to look at Harvey Weinstein and draw a line and be like, boom, yeah, done. Yeah. But coming from there, the levels of gradation become real complicated. Yes. You know, everyone's like really trigger happy. And that's what I was so scared about because I'm like, this is separating us more as human beings living this human experience rather than bringing us together. And when that continues to escalate, like you're talking about this slippery slope, where is the line and how bad can it get? And I don't want to think about how bad it could get. You know, it's like, then you start thinking about like the Texas abortion law, like how bad could it get? Yeah, yeah. How bad could it get? One of the things to really think about, too, is how it can then be used as a weapon against people and a tool for manipulation. Because I think in the, you know, kind of at the start of the pandemic and then through kind of the early summer where protests and riots, depending on who you talk to, was it protests or was it riots, you know, um, which is ridiculous. But the fact that, like you were saying, we were all living online made it so it it became very easy to cancel someone whether or not they had the receipts that were necessary. They could create and indoctrinate an entire subset of people just by calling some shit out. So I I think we're very, we're all actually very susceptible to that. And I, and I think that's, what's also scary and dangerous. 
anybody could be called out at any time for anything, whether or not that thing happened or not. Exactly. Yeah. But that's the thing is, um, you remember a couple of weeks ago with the whole Facebook WhatsApp situation yeah, yeah. and the Facebook whistleblower coming up and, and talking about this right. because she used to work in the civil like organ- whistleblower. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She used to work in sort of the civil department, like in, right. in Facebook. And she was talking about like journalism, right? right? Like unbiased, you know, quote unquote, yes. like objective journalism that is disappearing because these algorithms are just putting trigger words or like buzzwords yeah. to like get more people enraged right. and that was sort of the whole point yeah. of, of social media and so this sort of leads into our first topic of like toxic wokeness mm-hmm. because as we continue we're being manipulated and being brainwashed into yeah. becoming angry all the yeah. time yeah absolutely and and the fact is the truth often lies somewhere in the middle. And that's like these gray areas that we're talking about, you know? And, and I, I think also, you know, and we'll talk about this in the second half is kind of like adding moralism where moralism does not exist. Yes. Creating that narrative of, of right and wrong, correct or bad, you know, all these things, creating that dichotomy, which ends up, having us take on team colors. But before we get into this topic one, I do want to give a shout out to Cynthia Wang. Love you, Cynthia. Really appreciate. Um, We went to brunch with them and we had a great meal and, um, you know, she's a professor and she teaches, you know, on the topic of, you know, kind of queer studies and Asian American studies. And, um, we had a great conversation with her because I didn't want to do this episode without bagging it. You know, I don't, I didn't want to raw dog the episode. (laughs) Like we wanted to chat with her and kind of understand things a little bit more deeply and, and get a little bit more perspective. So really appreciate just having that conversation with her. And also like she gave us a lot of insight into this episode, but also I'm sort of like, uh, I, I wish that she could be on this episode right, right, right. Like, because well, she's a lot more me? eloquent and like more, you know, th- there's like more organization and more, uh, you know, uh, yes. she's more well-versed in this topic. But um, thank you, Cynthia, for like trusting us to talk about this and like being so open and giving us your insight as well. Yes. So um, let's talk a little bit about cognitive distortion. So, Tell me about this. Tell okay. me about this, Ross. <laughs> so basically, it's been a while since we had our lunch with Cynthia, yeah. but um, basically cognitive distortion talks about, uh, you know, just black black and white thinking, thinking in extremes, mm-hmm. right? Talking about a situation and overgeneralizing it yeah. and catastrophizing. So right. what that happens is you're eating, either jumping to the worst possible conclusion right. when right. we're talking about something, right? right? So this abortion law, obviously I yeah. jumped to the worst possible conclusion. Sure. I was just like, we're all fucked, yeah. right? Like yeah. this is just the beginning. Pretty soon the whole country's going to be like this, right? right? And then it creates a, a you versus them exactly. kind of dialogue, right? And, yeah. and, then, and then another aspect, the last part about this is personalization right and it's like suddenly we attach right like our personal experiences even if it doesn't really matter to us at Ooh, all oh yeah like mm-hmm. for example black lives matter right yeah why are white people triggered is it about white people no it's about black people right 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 yes yeah but so suddenly the, they're more right about it than a lot of their black like friends a hundred yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's cognitive distortion Absolutely. because it's like it's about me it's not about you actually yeah, yeah, yeah. you know so it's like our, our culture has become easily triggered without taking a step back taking a breath and taking a look at the cause and effects of the situations and those involved and what led to that right. situation you know sort of imploding from right. there and I feel like that uh, like with mask wearing which is like the dumbest shit that we've gone through this year <laughs> yeah. it, it makes sense why people get so angry like like you know I was like, I, I could not understand, um, the tantrums that we were seeing. And I, you know, I, you know, was the first to be like, well, fuck these people. But now kind of like taking a step back and thinking about it. And it's like, what are, what is being taken away from them? And it's this, 
I guess this idea of personal freedom, but it's also like just not being able to accept that something that they don't want to do is something that they ought to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it's tricky. It's tricky. I, I get it. They're not just trying to be dicks. I, I don't think most people wake up and try to be dicks, but I think just based on their, the news intake that they're taking and what they would like to do in their life, like there's something external that's opposing that. You know, what's kind of crazy is that I kind of think of everyone being infantilized. Interesting. Like yeah. this is sort of bringing out our childlike tantrums got it yeah. if we're not served fast enough we right. get you know we get angry if you tell us to wear a mask we don't want to do it like yeah. we become toddlers yeah. again because the strain and trauma of like this whole collective right experience has disabled us from control and restraint mm, because we felt that we had to control and restrain we we aren't able to do things we're restricted quote-unquote right. with these invisible ties to covid right right but when in fact it's like really not about you it's not about the personalization right That's it's true. about the bigger picture yeah 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 so so I think it's easy for people to jump to either the black or white because it is more comfortable. Right, right, right. And it's and then you have a complete tribe yeah. that's joining you. You know, you have people to back you up and you have memes that are served you every day that align with how you feel internally and what you see in your perspective of the world and how people that look like you are treated. And that happens on both sides. Like, yeah. you know, and I, I mean, not even sides, but that happens to everybody and it ends up landing on one side or the other. Yeah. It serves our bias, right? Yeah. 100%. So then you, so, and you know how quickly like internet is happening. Yeah. You post one thing, people either agree with you or disagree with yes. you. Yeah. If you're like brave enough to put up like a personal opinion yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. They're going to come for you. They're going to come. And, you know, I mean, I think and we've talked about it, too, like starting this podcast was really scary because all of a sudden, like I had been very careful to curate my political leanings online. Like it was a very Mm. like tidy, nothing out of step, nothing out of line. And 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 I realized that's part of the problem, you know, of not sharing the messy confusion. If I didn't have a specific thought about something I would just sit out the conversation and just wait till it like blew over yeah and I wouldn't show my work you know I would only show up on the internet being like these are my conclusions and and this is like I co-sign all of these other like people um but I wasn't showing my work and in fact like I don't even know that I was really doing the work. I was just, no one wants to do the work anymore though, Prisca. No one wants yeah. to do the long division and show their work. You know, they would just <laughs> want to show it just equals this because I did it on a calculator, even though I wasn't allowed to. Yeah. And I you do know? think, I do think a lot of people are doing the work, but it, when you keep it so private, it, it, one, it kind of makes it so like nobody else knows how to, um, like nobody, it, it makes it so a lot of people become afraid to show their messy sides. Yeah, I think it's totally fine for us to find comfort in our bubbles when we have conversations yes. about these hard topics because it makes us feel safe and seen, yes. right? However, it mm. doesn't mean that we should discount or alienate those who have disagreeing terms with yeah. us, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I find this to be a common thread either people agree with you completely a hundred percent right and then or those who don't agree with you find it very hard yeah. to bring up you yeah. know like yeah. like a different counterpoint right even right. if right. they strongly believe in it because they're afraid of getting chewed out by the majority yeah and and there's an interesting thing too because mm. yeah i think the like the extreme reactionism is is massive right and mm-hmm. and i i know that's something like 
we want to dive deeper into. And one phenomenon I kind of recognize is, you know, when you know people on Twitter and then you know them in real life. Yeah. Um, and I have a couple friends on Twitter or like Facebook and they write the saltiest, snarkiest, just fucking savage like tweets, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and it makes, when I see them in person, they couldn't be more lovely and couldn't be more sweet, but it makes me really, really afraid to say anything out of turn in front of them. Also tweeting and like posting your status only allows you a certain amount of words. Yeah. There yeah. isn't enough room for context. You have to keep on posting afterwards to explain yourself right but it makes me realize you know these are people that i know and so people that i don't know that i'm seeing these sarcastic sardonic like very like savage fucking tweets from 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 no matter the perspective i have to assume most of them are perfectly lovely in real life and don't um don't enter any sort of discourse with that kind of aggressiveness no you know? i mean that's not gonna happen they're gonna invite you over for a cup of tea if you yeah. were like it's like two dogs barking at each other with a fence between them yeah and then like once the fence is removed or it's open they're, they're like perfectly fine butts. yeah it's yeah. perfectly fine so it's like i think we just have to remember that we're all people yes like and nothing could be like redundant or like skinny down to just like two sentences like right but it's tough because the more savage the more quippy the more sarcastic yeah. the more likes you get and so you're there's a reward system there yeah um it's almost it's just kind of like rewarding not always bad behavior but often like worse behavior again we're being infantilized so i just think this is sort of like what's happening you know when everyone's at recess and taking sides but i do want to bring up a situation that's happened recently i'm sure a lot of you have heard about this situation this tragedy um helena hutchins um cinematographer was shot on the set of Rust, rust um and it's heartbreaking on so many levels and um something i noticed about this is because the industry especially the iatsi especially the union crew members um there is definitely an overhaul happening and a revolution happening in the film industry where um everyone wants to hold producers and those at the top accountable for um you know uh what they're doing a to crew members in general but also these safety issues that uh, no one's life should ever be on the line for something for a movie and um just seeing what happened at first it's like you know alec baldwin shot the pistol right but it is not alec baldwin's fault he is an actor Mm -hmm. he was said it's a cold gun yeah so obviously that's not on that's not his fault but then you see the media portraying him alec baldwin killed by alec baldwin (sighs) right like journalism right choosing that language triggers a response it does and then people are led by their emotions and then you know they're like to to villainize him is the most cruel thing because that man probably will not work for the yeah. rest of his life at well, this point you know and, and he just needs to recover from it so there's so there's so many and you know yeah our hearts go out to her family and the, that entire crew and yes. of people who love her and everyone who knows her i think there's a lot of heartbreak going on in the industry right now and nobody should have to go to work and be afraid for their lives especially yeah. not for something that's going to end up being a piece of art or entertainment um I think what's tricky about that is there's so many layers to it. One, like a lot of people would be like, well, he's the producer on the movie. So that's like an added layer, even though he was very upset and, and, you know, the crew had walked out. He was very upset. He was fighting it. He was doing his job. Right. So he was that's tricky. And then if you pull back even further, um, you know, he portrayed Donald Trump on SNL. And so the right is completely just pissed at him right now and and basically saying this is this is karma for for the shit that he'd done um and then you pull back even further and he himself on twitter 
has eviscerated people and bullied people um, in the name of, you know, going against Republican ideals, but still, you know, not the kindest behavior either. Um, and he's he, he he's a very he was very anti-gun, very or very anti-NRA. Um, and, and because of that, you know, a lot of people are he's called people out like, well, have you ever shot someone, you know, unintentionally or whatever? And, and it's it's sad because in the it's kind of like that subreddit. There's always a tweet um, in the world that we live in. It's so easy for anything that we say or do to come back and bite us in the ass, even though in this situation on Rust, what happened was horrific. It's probably the worst day of his fucking life. He's probably going to have PTSD from that. People are using so many other things that he's done that has nothing to do with the situation to frame it and to, it's you know crazy. what I mean? It's crazy. It's like, account- it's like everyone's everyone's framing this as accountability yep. like trying to hold someone accountable but really what it is is manhunting yeah and interesting it's yeah. like once like remember when aziz and zari got canceled yeah it's like that one thing yeah. right and then it spiraled into all these other things right. all these other people speak yeah. up blah, 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 blah. and then suddenly it's like the whole world turns their gaze differently upon him right everyone is so like I don't know, malleable. And there's like a certain amount of schadenfreude to that, yes. you know, which is terrible, which is terrible. And it's like when it's someone you hate, it's easy to feel some pleasure in their in their pain. Yep. But when it's someone you lionized or loved, um, you know, I think either you can become a zealot against them or you can get real quiet because you know what I mean? You you look up to them. So it, it, it's tricky. It's It's really tricky. And I do think... That what you see is often not what you get in terms of people's reactions. It's like we have to stop idolizing and thinking people are perfect. I mean, yeah. the Bob Ross documentary, I'm like, come on. I mean, like, yeah. you know, you just love this person who has given you so much therapy, yeah. like, growing up. And then, of course, of course, he's not, like, not a perfect human. None of us are. None of us are. You know? Yeah. And it's like, it's a slippery it's crazy. It's it a, really is. Yeah, because I'm hesitant to bring this up because I'm still trying to think through it. But with Dave Chappelle in the closer, yeah. mm-hmm. um, it's tricky because I am of the mind that I think if we're all so afraid to say anything, we won't end up saying anything at all. And pushing the boundaries of that is kind of what comedy is meant to do. However, if you're endangering a, a group of people who are already and also not only just endangering them, but invalidating them, that's something that I find a lot of difficulty with. And I understand that he's. I understand that he's trying to kind of flip it and show the problems with the logic. And I appreciate that. Not the logic of being a trans person, not that, but flip the logic of cancel culture on its head. And the fact that people are railing against him makes him only want to like shit into the wind even more, you know, but I don't think he's fully there yet. And I think what he's doing in the meantime is causing harm. Yeah, I don't know what to think of it completely, but it, it's a tricky situation. But so do you think cancel culture actually works? It doesn't. Cancel culture absolutely does not work for any situation okay, at talk all. Talk to me about because that. Because the, the thing about, I think, you know, and I sort of went into observing patterns in different people who yeah. have been canceled yeah. just to see, like, when eventually everyone accept these people back. Yeah. So there's, um, I was looking into, like, mukbangs and, like, you know, I do love, you know, Korean culture and... Yeah. Um, Squid Soo Games? <laughs> Soo Young and Korean Englishman and Gabby Cook. Like, these are all pretty well-known sort of, like, uh, Korean stars, yeah. you know, like, on YouTube culture. And I love Soo Young because she can eat so much and she's so cute and wow. she's, like, so adorable and eats, like, 50 
50 pounds of brisket. And then Korean Englishman is a British guy who okay. is basically like an ambassador for Korea. Aww. And he just loves Korean culture so much. Yeah. So then he's always introducing all these celebrities to like Korean food. And then wow. his wife is Gabby Cook, who like was a finalist on MasterChef, you know. Wow. Um, so she, I always look at her recipes. She's just such a brilliant chef. But you know, they did some things like, for example, I think too young, like, like there was some mix up about her sponsorship in her early videos where she had no knowledge of what she was doing. And then like, there was some tax stuff. I don't know how, Oh no, I remembered what it was. So like Josh, Korean Englishman and his wife, like celebrated like a small get together for her birthday, like very small, like maybe like eight people. And they got like oh during canceled like crazy during covid and basically they went on high they the the public demanded an apology but when the public is that angry calling them selfish and all of that like no apology will ever be good enough no no you've seen people who've tried to come and apologize either via a statement or a video or anything like that and the comments are just yeah it's crazy yeah 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 i mean and the billionaires holding dinners at their house like bezos or you know Gates or whatever. Um, so, so they were getting canceled. For they that. were getting canceled, and um, eventually, this is what happens with all of them. Yeah, their fans would write, "We miss you. Oh my gosh! Like uh, we miss seeing your videos. Like all that anger. You did us wrong. Like yeah. we loved you. You know, you were perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then yeah. I think Korean culture also expects people to be perfect. So there's another layer to that as well. Sure. But like, but then they do miss their content. Yeah. And yeah. eventually they miss them as well. And so they come back and they're yeah. like taking it slowly at a time. But what I do notice about cancel culture, I mean, Trisha Paytas, yeah. this, this woman <laughs> who's a hot mess, yes. um, love and hate her because she's so crazy, yes. um, has mastered cancel culture. Because she's like, I know I'm going to get canceled for saying this. She doesn't give a fuck. Wow. She will, do, she will say whatever she wants, want whatever she wants, because she knows at the end of the day. Yeah her fans will always come back. They're going to be loyal. Interesting. Or that she'll get views because people hate her so much. You know? Yeah, but it's like, how far can you push it? Where's that line, too? Exactly. Well, it's kind of how I felt about Bon Appetit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I... Yeah. I was like a a Bon Appetit fan and I, you know, I subscribed to the magazine. Um, I felt like all of the YouTube personalities were my friends. Like they were a big comfort to me when I was living in Ashland, like, you know, and then everything that happened with Adam Rappaport, like it was just, I, I had to step away from all of my close friends. I felt like, you know, I had to stop watching these people that have become, um, a part of my everyday life. And, um, you know, a lot of where I had learned the baselines for a lot of recipes and cooking techniques, like I, I, I almost felt like something died. The interesting about thing about that is then one of the podcasts that I've been following for like 10 years now, Reply All, they decided to do a, a news report on the Bon Appetit downfall. And then while they, they were releasing the first couple of episodes of that takedown of Bon Appetit, they got called out for someone on their team. Oh my God. Um, and then one of their co-hosts stepped down and they had a complete reckoning and restructuring of their show. So it becomes almost like a dog chasing its tail or yeah. a snake eating itself. You yeah. know, at the end of the day, I think I got you know, all these things happening. It's like, well, what's the benefit? Like you're saying, cancel culture. Does it work in your opinion? No, it doesn't. Do you think it works? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it works because it works to a certain extent because people are afraid of it. So it exists and it, it has a consequence, but I don't know that the right people are actually getting punished in the way that we think they will 
when we're endeavoring on a canceling. Well, putting this on us when yeah. we first started this podcast. Yeah. Remember how prim and proper we were in our speech? Yes. And like how careful we were to frame something. Yeah. And me, like obviously I'm a lot more trigger happy than Prisca. Prisca's, you know, you know, more refined and polished. <laughs> no. That she really like looks at everything from multiple angles. But for me, I'm very led by my opinion. Sure, sure. You know, so it's like. That's why we balance each other out. We do though. balance yeah. each other out. I'm scared to think anything. But also it's like. I've been working on, you know, speaking my authentic truth. Yeah. But also when I speak my authentic truth, I want those words to be like a fucking knife, like right. like a tweet. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But like it's but also I want people to acknowledge the fact that I have done my research. I right. have shown my work. Right. You know, but it's just the way it comes out could be misconstrued. Yes. You know, yeah. so it's like even in this podcast, like obviously Prisca and I have evolved and, you know, we definitely have such amazing and such an amazing audience that accepts us and like, you know, lets us feel seen in that, in that way. But look, if I get canceled for saying something on this podcast, maybe years into the future, like where does that leave free speech or like, um, the, the freedom, like we're talking about, like this theme that we keep going back to in terms of our freedoms being taken away and living as we would. At the end of the day, we're going to be wrong about a lot of things. A hundred. And I think, Anyone who listens to us knows that enough. Right. But we're, yeah, we're going to be wrong about a lot of things. And honestly, I think how I feel is like, I think uh, like we try to approach this with as much compassion and humility as we Mm -hmm. can. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we're wrong about things and we get canceled for something, like at the end of the day, I feel that I brought my integrity to every episode. Um, And if I get canceled for it, then good. Okay. Like I understand, like I I stand by what I say and, and I'm always open to being corrected. So I think we just got to keep living like that. We just got to keep living in this balance of like courage, but also humility and, and, and forthrightness, but also the ability to be corrected. And let me tell you all something. When you go head to head with someone with a very different opinion from you and you fight fire with fire, all that leads is an empty victory. Right. And so get comfortable getting uncomfortable yeah and you know? to, to to bend is not dangerous yes. being rigid is when you snap right exactly. like um if there's anything i learned from great british break off like you know because <laughs> you don't want a soggy bottom but you know i i think it's like if you are so afraid to challenge your own ideals if someone's op- opposing thought makes you so fearful that you can't even entertain the thought, then you really got to examine how strong your belief actually is, you know, how deeply held, um, how, how much, um, thought you've done around why you hold those beliefs, you know? And I think that I'm kind of saying this kind of coming from a Christian background Mm -hmm. where I had to face a lot of the things that I'd grown up thinking were a given, Um, and you know, I grew up in an environment where people close to me still are very pro-life and I was pro-life, you know, and that's something that's in understanding, like you're saying, like when you approach someone fighting fire with fire, you're only going to make them dig their heels in more. And you're only going to be shouting into someone that's it's it's like, it's like, you're not even really listening. You're just shouting at each other and just screaming like two rock concerts facing each other, (laughs) you know, and nobody's enjoying that. If you're not even secure enough in your ideals that you can't even hear it that's something you got to examine right that's something we got to look at yeah i mean have you seen midnight mass oh not yet but it's on my queue um i mean it's it's framed uh, obviously mike flanagan did it so it's framed as like a horror 
But for me, and and for me, it's like watching him do horror is truly terrifying because it makes you examine your past values and beliefs. And for him, he had a very similar background, like in terms of his religion and like walking away from it. So this was very personal to him. So like, I really suggest that you watch Midnight Mass because everything that you're talking about, it's like he does it through his art and his work. So, you know, everything like the things are scary, but like, I feel like that was truly terrifying. But um, I, I, we're going to take a little break, y'all. Um, I, we're loving this topic, obviously, about um, wokeness, the fragility of our woke culture, and of course, cancel culture. We'll be right back. We're going to take a little break. Stay tuned. Talking about sex is such a taboo thing and it creates more oppression. Yeah. And it oppresses women. It oppresses men. Hi, Goatees. Thanks for tuning in. Last season, we did an episode all about virginity. If you haven't heard it yet, we think it's well worth a listen. We have slightly different experiences. For sure. Because you're coming from a place where your friends are like, yeah, we fucked under the bleachers. Right. But you haven't? Yes. I literally would study Cosmo magazines (laughs) and read them end to end and go on jokes.com and learn dirty jokes because I wanted to like be in the know. We talk about the patriarchal structures around virginity and dive into some pretty personal stuff. Things get really intimate. And I was like, fuck, I'm like single and I don't know what it's like to kiss a boy or like, I don't know any of these things. I had to find a way to like rush my timeline. Did you ever feel like people assumed that you would be more sexually experienced? Yes. Like my breasts have developed into this since I was 13. I've always been very voluptuous. Yeah. I have to be honest. I wanted to lose my virginity, but at the same time, I was scared of the pain. We also talk about double standards when it comes to virginity and how that can be damaging as well. And in fact, like, you know, when they hit a certain age, they have older men mentors being like, let me just get you a girl so that you can get it out of the way, which is so sad because like that fumbling and discovery and confusion and all that is is intimacy building. It's our most listened to episode to date. So head to twohornygoats.com slash episode slash virginity to listen now or find the episode on Spotify and iTunes. Our mothers only had had one person their yes. whole life. You yeah. know what I mean? So only one person has entered the chamber. Exactly. And so that's their mm-hmm. that's their story. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what they know. So obviously that's what they think that will bring happiness, fulfillment, joy, completion. OK, now back to the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to season three, episode one, where we Ooh. are talking about toxic wokeness and kissel culture. So, I don't know about you, but I am sweating talking talk about this. <laughs> girl, I'm you're on a roll, comfy. girl. No, but, but yeah. that's good. That's good that you're not comfy because yeah. I feel that, um, anyways, I'm sure a lot of people feel like they want to talk about this. I mean, this is, again, one of the conversations that I have in private with a lot of my friends yes. and not so much in public, but which made me feel like this is definitely a topic that we need to talk about on this pod. Right. I feel like I'm uncomfortable because it's everything behind the facade. Like it's everything that I don't want people to necessarily know that I'm struggling with or confused by. Yeah, everybody wants you to be super assertive about where you stand on a certain yeah. topic, like which side are you on, yeah, right? Yeah. But, and I think that this topic sort of peeks its head out like in almost every episode that we yes. have, you know? So this is us sort of like directing more attention on it full on. Right. So um, bringing us to topic two. Yeah. So 
in lieu of all of this, how can we shift this conversation into a more compassionate manner? Yes, that's such a good point. A lot of what I've been thinking about lately, probably ever since, you know, the the early summer 2020, um, which now is like a million years ago, but feels really recent in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. was this kind of memification of activism. And, um, and what I mean by that, and I got very caught up in it, is, you know, just kind of everyone... Um, reposting memes that sounded good and felt really good. And I'll be the first to admit, at first, I didn't do any research on it. If someone I, I posted it that I felt like was reputable, I would be like, boom, repost. Yeah, you would like regurgitate oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. And if it felt good to me, boom, repost. And if it made me cry, boom, repost. And if I felt people needed to know it, boom, repost. And all of a sudden, like, I found myself getting so worked up when... Other people either didn't post the same thing I did because I was like, how could you not be posting that? That's so important. You know, like this CDC new like information is so important. How could you not post it? How could you not post this like great write up on racism and equality and justice? Like, how could you not? Then there were rallies in L.A. and I would be like then upset at people that weren't posting about the rallies and weren't posting that they were at rallies. And then I'd be shitting on myself because I didn't want to go to the rallies because I wanted to see my parents that weekend. You know, Um, all these things like all. All of a sudden I found myself in a heightened, like my adrenal glands were going off the chain. Like I was in a heightened cortisol state constantly. Yeah. And I was like, what's going on? Yeah. And literally these petty fights between friends would start, would start cropping up of one person maybe writing a a status that someone didn't agree with. And they would write a passive aggressive status in, you know, to kind of combat that. And even though, you know, it was separate, you could tell like there was all this infighting happening and it it was all due to this like memification of activism. Um, And I, I started to realize like, I think there are a lot of great sites doing a lot of great memes that probably have a lot of information and that's great. But I do think that if you're getting your news and information from memes or captions on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or whatever, it's your idea of the full picture will be truncated. It's like spreading a wildfire, right? Because like, I think we talked about tone policing in the past. We definitely had episodes in the past that talked about like performative activism and the pressure to feel like we had to be a part of that and being villainized for not being as trigger happy as the rest of us. That if you're silent, you're complicit. Yes. Yeah. And, And I get it. And I started to recognize and feel that nobody fucking knows what I do offline Mm -hmm. and nobody knows. And I don't know what people fucking do offline. And I don't know if, you know, just kind of following the same example of like, I don't know if my friend who didn't post about this thing is actually donating their time or funds to the, I don't fucking know. Maybe they're not posting about it. And then all of a sudden I realized like my anger was created. It it, it was like a hot air balloon. It was full of just hot air. It had no substance. Mm -hmm. It wasn't actually based on anything. It was just based on what I was seeing in front of me. An echo chamber. Exactly. And, and, and just kind of being pigeonholed into, into this very, very, very narrow, um, inlet to what I perceive to be going on in the world. The thing that I noticed about these wildfire situations yeah. is that once it conjures, it develops a mania yeah. with the side or the community that it's like speaking to. And then that mania develops into such a blindfold. Like, and, and there is literally like the whole thing with IATSE, for example. It's like I just see these posts and IATSE stories, which was the whole 
the whole start of the amplification of how crew members suffer wow. from from the lack of rights yeah. that producers sort of put them through. They even got canceled recently wow. because uh, they posted that, you know, there were changes being made to like, you, you know, there was like this whole thing where... Um, the IATSE, you know, like like leaders and like the motion pictures people, like they came and they said, oh yeah, we're like, we, we negotiated, everything's fine, we're gonna, the strike is averted. Yeah. But in essence, like nothing has really changed. And so IATSE stories posted that, um, hey guys, like we, we did it, you know, like they were happy that there was some sort of like success and everybody started targeting them saying like, this isn't good enough that they buy you out, like blah, blah, blah. Whoa. And then eventually this crippled this, you know, this young man's like, he had to come out and reveal who he was. Whoa. And, you know, he said, I'm 20, I'm a 27 year old electrician. Like, like running this page has done a huge damage to like mental health. Oh and like my, my friends and family are worried about me. He's like, of course, like I feel scared. The neutral tone is because, you know, I have all these other people like yeah. talking to me. Like I get threats, I get whatever. Of right. course, of course, I'm scared, yeah. you know, and so it just, it's just oh leads to gosh. like this whole blowout. And, and then the, the comments were like, oh, we love you. Thank you for everything that you did. Like, right. you know, and it's just crazy how, how fast that can snap, how oh, yeah. fast that can change. Like literally people are like unfollowing you. I have friends who are just like, we don't trust you anymore. Wow. Like literally, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like we forget. Yeah. That the, there are people behind these. Yes. Yeah. And one of us. Yeah. But it, it's easy to post behind an account feeling like anonymous and empowered in a way that you wouldn't as an individual. So it cuts both ways. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's rough. It's tricky. And then it makes you feel like no matter what you do, no matter what you say, I think it's people that feel like they're contributing to the cause in some way. Okay. So let's talk about this. Yeah. So people feel like they're galvanizing. Yeah. Right. And that they're, we're all, we're all gathering together to fight this one thing that's like so evil and so terrible and like so wrong. Right. Has this destroyed any of your friendships and groups of friends? I would say, you know, for me, like when Trump first got elected, yeah, um, is when I started to see like, if you agree with XYZ, I'm going to delete you. If you post about XYZ, um, I'm unfriending you. And I think there was a moment in time where I was like, yeah, like, <laughs> fuck yeah. Like, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and then I think as I started really just kind of sitting on that, it didn't feel right because it would just be like sealing off the echo chamber. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there are some really fanatic people on both sides of whatever aisle that, you know, we've created. Um at the end of the day, the majority of people, they're just doing what feels right for them. Yeah. And, you know, even people, I think the science behind it is, is not great. (laughs) I mean, non-existent, but with anti-vaxxers, like the, the, I understand that what they're trying to do is to protect their kids. Like, and I disagree with their view on science or lack thereof, but I need to understand that I can't just paint them as idiots because what they're trying to do is protect their tribe. Exactly. And that's what I would do. Yes. Know? And not, not that I would ever be anti-vax, right? But it's like, I can understand the, the thought behind it. So how about you? How has that affected your friendships? I think in the beginning, I was easily angered if somebody didn't do something for the good of the collective yeah. like if you didn't vaccinate if you didn't like yeah uh, unless it they had, unless they had pre-existing conditions yeah. of course but then 
as as more and more of the people in not in my circle, but you know, I tend to have different groups of friends. Sure. Um, just to make sure that I'm not so you know biased in one right. situation. And you know, at the end of the day, it's like you choose what's best for you. Yeah. And I have to respect that. As long as you put on a mask. Yeah. As long as you abide by the rules of the establishment. Right. And you know, come out with a negative test or whatever. Yeah. And there are some things where like now we are being mandated to be vaccinated to go to events or yeah. whatever. And I think that's really great. But if you choose not to be vaxxed and you respect that and you don't go, yeah. well, that's great. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, it's yeah. like you respect it and you choose what's best for you, but you still abide by the rules yeah. of our functioning or malfunctioning society. Right. Then that then we could still live in peace. Right. I think there's like a difference between being in disagreement with the concept and the ideals and, you know, like what we stand for being opposed to each other and then actually being opposed to this person. Right. And I think, I think we've combined them to be one in the same in, in this day and age. And I think that's, that's the danger. And that's why we feel like we can't be friends of someone who, who comes from a different perspective. It's like that um, personalization aspect of the cognitive distortion, right? right? Like you're talking to this person who you know for maybe many years, right? And grew up differently or maybe the same as you and they disagree. And then suddenly you take that, their choice or like them telling you this truth about themselves to be personal against you. Yeah. I do have to credit people in my life because I think before Trump got elected, um, it was like the, maybe the year before is the first time I had like real debates about issues that the Democrats had. Yeah. You know, cause I was, I had my Obama ro- rose colored glasses on. Right. Um, and I, I, I still appreciate what, you know, he did for our country during those years. You can disagree. Totally fine. But I had never, um, even found a reason to debate that. Cause he was, he, he was elected during our college year. So for us, yeah. it was like this ideal, like amazing time. And I, I was, honestly saran wrapped from anything outside of that and so i think the year that the election was happening um i was really angry i was really angry and 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 shocked you know i was shocked and to my friend's credit um my friend andrew um uh, we call him brewer because the last name is brewer it's it's a really like complicated nickname but he was (laughs) living in upstate new york at the time Uh uh-huh and he came back and like we had this dinner and he basically devils advocated me all night. Mm. And I didn't know, like he was kind of trolling me, but like, but in a important way, he was devils advocating me all night. And at the end of our conversation, I almost felt like crying because I felt like I'd lost my friend completely because we disagreed on near, or he was breaking down everything I had to say about things. And he was like, look, I don't actually think any of these things, not fully anyway, but I just wanted to show you how people are thinking in this country. Um, and you're just not exposed to that being in LA in this bubble. And I, I was fucking speechless. And then Trump was elected and we've had a number of conversations since, but I appreciate him for in a way, like kind of just like popping my, I don't know, popping my cherry that's terrible. No, but he is popping your bubble, though. He's popping my bubble. Yeah. yeah he's completely... He, he made me wake up to a certain... Uh, uh, he made me wake up to a certain type of thought that was much more prevalent than I was exposed to at the time. And then, of course, moving to Oregon, being even more so on a personal level, exposed to different... Uh, uh, to people, like, on varying degrees of red or blue. Um, lots of purple situations there. Um really opened my eyes. What, what about you? Like, what were, what were your moments where you kind of went from being so far on one side to kind of like being more open to 
It's like what you're saying about, you know, being in these liberal bubbles, yeah. like uh, li- being in Los Angeles, going to New York, you know, or like going to Taipei where everything's like super, super, super liberal. Yeah. Then you like go down to Taizong or like you go down to like, you know, go to Utah for two months right. or like you go to where it's a very red state and like that environment is very different. These yeah. people speak differently. They look at you differently, but they're not mean yeah. or malicious. No. They're still very kind. No. You yes. know, and for me, like when I look, when I think about when I come back and I look at these, these, these posts and I look at how, how we're further dividing mm-hmm. each other mm-hmm. into look at how stupid these Trump supporters are. Yeah. You know, like they don't even know the difference between blah, blah, you interview them. And it's yeah. like, oh, isn't that ironic? You know, yeah. it's like we're making them look stupid. And but they obviously believe different things. But uh, obviously, I'm like sometimes like the MAGA people do go into real extremes and like they're even against Trump at certain points right. because of his mania and fanaticism. But once you're out of your environment yeah. and you interact with a different group of people, right. that's when you start to realize, oh my gosh, like yeah. what I believe in is like probably isn't a hundred because it's different there. The The land is different there. The climate is different yep. there. The Their environment are different. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's like our, what we believe in, our mania yeah. can't fix everything. Yeah. And it made me honestly, I think along with what you're saying, it made me realize that I actually wasn't doing critical thinking because everyone was agreeing with me and we were all on this like thought like train. Yeah, yeah. And so I never had to like critically think about anything. Exactly. I never had to really dig into policy. I never had to really dig into the, the, the politicians that, I, that we lionize. Like I never had to dig into it because we were all in agreement. Yes. And so I, I, I totally see that. Like I, it's like when you spend time with people that are different from you um you know it, it's it seems really obvious but like through a kind of thought osmosis you kind of it affect each other and i guess i have to thank my mother for this oh god <laughs> oh my gosh a big moment i think a two horny goats it's first. so crazy no, because like i get so triggered talking to my mom yeah you know um and i hope she's okay that I talk. it's not that she listens anyway <laughs> but you know we were talking about the abortion law yeah and um how you know originally it was like I mean, the ACLU is obviously pushing, you know, to remove all that at that point, at this point. But it's like um, you can't get an abortion past six weeks. Yeah. In in Texas. In Texas. And um, I just remember talking to my mom and my mom was like, oh, that's a good thing because, you know, like the woman's body, you know, shouldn't like it's a danger to her after six weeks if you try, try to do like a operation like that and oh. I got so triggered yes and I just immediately just went for it yeah you know and yeah. then and then my mom's like I'm just saying you know and then we became like you know the shouting match right but then you know once we took time to really explain ourselves yeah. and our different sides and as as uncomfortable as it is to yeah. sit in her position yeah and um her talking about and her experience with like you know, having children and like loving children and like the nuclear family and like what she was taught in her environment, what, what women were expected to be in Taiwan and in Asia and like her mother and like everything that women sort of had to Mm. sacrifice. Like I never lived it. So I don't understand it. Right. Right. You know, and and how, how, why should I invalidate her? You know, like I, I get it. Like, obviously I very much pro-choice, you know, like, I mean, um, and you know, we just live in a, different environment we're rooted in a different land we're blooming in a different land right so it's like um we we have to be more compassionate towards each other because once we start throwing swords we are just going to keep stabbing each other until we die oh my goodness right yeah and i don't think any of us actually want to be doing that 
I think when you put on team colors, you know, like, you know, the Dodgers were playing the Giants, like, and if a Giants fan comes into Dodger territory, there have been Giants fans who have been killed and vice versa, all because they're wearing team colors. What? And this is essentially from a, like, a philosophical point of view, what's happening in our day and age. You are wearing team colors. You're wearing red. I'm wearing blue, whatever it is, you know, you're putting on team colors and all of a sudden you think that they represent everything that that team stands for and you, it it dehumanizes them. I think, you know, as we wrap up this episode, what we want to just walk away with is some practical tools to inject a little bit of compassion into the conversation. Mm -hmm. And, and some of those things are very practical, right? Like I would say, and and I would love to hear yours too, but I would say one of the things I try to do is like, if it sounds a little bit too simple and a little, almost like too good to be true, take a, take a second look at it. Because even though the statement um, can contain a lot of truths, it doesn't mean that the entire thing is true. Yep. Um, and if it's painted with a broad brush, go and go see what the nuance is and, and go and read the full text. Go and watch that hour, three hour long C-SPAN video instead of just the clip. Go and take that time and do that if it's something that you really care about. And even if it's something you don't, because it's good to be fully um, aware of the nuance there. Right. So just take the time. And I think. The second thing is like, if you're having a conversation with someone, like take a minute to take a breath and realize like, I'm not arguing with who they are as a person, Mm -hmm. but we are arguing ideas and human beings have been arguing ideas since the dawn of time. And that is a beautiful process. Mm -hmm. But if we combine those two things and combine the person with the idea, then that becomes really dangerous. So those are kind of my practical tips. Like what are some of yours, Rox? What was the first first part that you said? Um, just like if it seems too simple or it's like painted oh, with a broad brush. Yeah. 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 And I think that's like honestly a little bit hard for our generation because we're yeah. so used to um, cliff notes. Yeah. You know, I think it takes a really amazing person to be able to sit down and like want to do that research. Yeah. And I wish that is something that we could you know, work on as well. Like even me, like I sometimes like want to read the cliff notes, but no, I'm going to go read the book, you know, about it. So again, it's like what Prisca said, like, like if you care enough, because obviously we can't care about about everything everything and like do all the research about everything. But like, if it means a lot to you before you formulate something, before you have that discussion, make sure that you have enough tools in your tool belt to like encounter that conversation and check in. If something is enraging you, yeah. and there are things that we ought to be enraged by, right. like, but if you're just getting angry first thing in the morning, you're hopping on whatever social media and you're reading something and you're, you're finding yourself, like, take notice of how things make you feel. Like, again, all of this is sort of going into, like, child. I don't know why I keep thinking that. Maybe sure. it's because of, like, my spiritual background. and well, like, like reaction. We all just, we all just react. And is that a way to live? You right. know, especially in our day and age. Again, it's like be mindful of it triggers you. Like, for example, if I'm talking to my mother and I feel that like, yeah. like that, that need to lash out. Yes. Like, would I do that normally with another person? Right. No. Right. right. So then I'm like, OK, I just need to practice that mindfulness and just step back a little bit yeah. and make sure that my heart rate goes down. Yeah. Because, again, it's personalization. Right. right. I'm you think this. So it's an attack against yes. me. And it's tough with our parents because they represent us or they're part of us, you know? Right. Yeah. And in addition to that, like, don't forget that a, 
a lot of things are engineered to make you feel things. They're engineered to do that for their own KPIs, their own clicks, uh-huh. their own, you know, views and whatnot. So like everything on the internet is geared towards making you feel a certain way. And you, as your own gatekeeper, get to decide whether or not you allow that into your life. So don't be afraid to mute a page for a bit. See how that makes you feel. Yeah, that's called like uh, like a mindful social media. Yeah. It's like, uh, how does this make you feel? Do you Definitely. want more of it? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. My friend Kevin Fong was like, just mute them for however long and see how, like take notice. Yes. Take note of like, yes. oh, did my... Did, did my anger decrease by a shit ton? Um, is my happiness like a little bit higher today? Like, am I feeling more intentional joy because I'm not constantly cutting that down with other things? Like, just be aware of that, you know? I love that. And also, and this is tricky, and I, I can't tell you that I have the exact right way of doing this, but just be aware of where you're intaking your news from. Yes. Because a hundred percent, there are some, and I, there, you know, sometimes very satisfying news stories that are very, very, very far left and they're emotional and they're, they rip apart the right. And I can't tell you, like, I can't tell you that I don't find some sadistic joy in it, but it's not balanced and it may not always be fair. And it often falls into hypocrisy. So do a check, whether you agree with any of it or not, you can disagree with all of it. But like we're saying, go stress test some of the things that you really feel and believe and go read some things from the other side. And it's like, are we any better than the ones that we're villainizing if we don't make an effort to like really have difficult conversations? Like, how do we move on from here together? You know, and I know not I know that not everybody wants that. You know, some people just want to go out for blood. Yeah. But honestly, like, just think about (laughs) where this could go if we don't manage it. I just want to really appreciate a friend of mine. Um, He just became a firefighter and we have completely different points of view. He's a like a six, three white dude, grew up in Manhattan Beach. um, And I'm, you know, five zero the like, height you know, doesn't matter yeah Priscilla. sure sure sure, sure. <laughs> um but you know we, like we like i'm you know five zero asian tiny like i mean we are opposites in so many ways right okay from the height to <laughs> our our political beliefs mm-hmm. um and he's one of the best people i know right just a kind-hearted person compassionate as fuck, you know? And, you know, when he became a firefighter, we started having a lot more conversations because, and you know, his, his, his fiance is like a bleeding heart liberal who I love, but, but it's interesting because they balance each other out and, um, they're from different political parties. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that makes a marriage work. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, it's great. I mean, wow. cause they have conversations about it all the time, but she might say something like, oh, well, like oh, the paramedics, they don't serve like, you know, communities of color and he's like actually and he breaks down just the practicality of the calls that come in how they sort them how they deal with them and the fact that they deal with every single one and it's like you know he breaks down the practicality of it because it's very easy again for me as a liberal to i could see a meme of like oh paramedics aren't taking care of communities of color and immediately i'm angry and i'm fucking pissed off and i hate everybody who's a paramedic this is just like you know i'm just saying like generally like that's how it happens right? right and talking to him has helped me really break down the practicalities of the job and make me understand that they have so many policies in place and these and and, and it's it it's like all these like meme activism type things they don't actually 
do the hard, tedious, boring work of enacting change, enacting new policy. It's like really getting in there. And so one of the things he recommended to me was to do a drive along with either, you know, a police if they if they allow you to or, um, you know, a firefighter just to kind of see like the the fact that what they're doing is like to them, like it's so procedural and it's so logical. And a lot of like what we say that would look good on a meme don't actually it doesn't actually apply to their day-to-day ability to change use some discernment because nothing is ever that simple it's not you cannot determine your opinion something based on one little meme yeah you really can't yeah so i appreciate him a lot and i would say that i i you know we had a conversation this past weekend and he didn't know about the chinese exclusion act he didn't know about you know the way a lot of our immigrant parents are treated he he hadn't really had a full-on conversation about you know what me and his fiance, who's, you know, also half Asian, like what we go through sometimes, you know, and, and how that is real. And, and, and he kept trying to, you know, kind of explain it away because he doesn't want, he doesn't want us to go through that in the world he lives in. He wants it to be equitable. You know, he wants it to be fair, which again, brings us back to the point that a lot of us, we want the same thing. We want to protect our tribe and we're just going about that in very different ways. Yep. And so when we realize that, like, ultimately we're all part of the same species tribe, like we are all one, we are all like a part of humanity. We all touch that, um, we make up a tiny piece of this tapestry. For sure. All right, everybody. Well, we're going to wrap up this episode. Lots of things, lots of feelings. Lots of things, lots of feelings. Well, I guess it's time for... <laughs> Wait, what? It's already time for... <laughs> okay, so I only have one this week, um, but that, uh, I mean, Midnight Mass is also a really good one. I'm not sure if I referred that one already, but I've been, um, obviously, some may, some of you may have no... I can't even talk. Yeah. Some of you may know of this show called Made um, on Netflix. And um, when I first saw it, it wasn't something that really caught my eye. But there's been a lot of conversation happening behind this Ooh. show. And um, it's based off a book by Stephanie Land, which I'm currently reading now. And cool. you guys, it is so eye-opening. It just talks about how the system, how poverty, you know, especially women who are struggling, single mothers. But just like how our our society and the systems are set up to basically not help those in need. And, um, the show does a really good job showcasing that um, Andy McDowell and her daughter Margaret Qualley are in it. They play real life mother and daughter Whoa. in this. Um, shout out to Quinn Tran um, who directed her first, you know, TV episode. She's a oh. cinematographer and uh, she's like amazing and like such a role model. So I really recommend this show. Just like watch a couple of the episodes and you start to, I don't know. It's just really moving. I'm almost done with it. I'm thinking about halfway through, but I'm also reading the book concurrently at the same time. Yes. Um, but you know, and then based off of this, like I was talking to Prisca, like when we were recording about like her experiences, like as a pet sitter and like, you know, as a house sitter yeah. as well. And, um, sort of the biases and stereotypes and stigmas that come along with people who do this type of work. Right. So I highly recommend it. So either go watch it or uh, get the book. Well, I can't wait to watch it yeah. like, because of your recommendation. Yeah. 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 It's going to be so good. You'll love it. Okay. You will love it. Oh, I yeah. No, it's already in my queue. Yeah. It's already in my queue. I'm very ready different to go. from Squid Game. But you know, <laughs> it's, it's good. It's good. For me, uh, you know, I'm a huge John Oliver fan. Uh, I, I think he is probably my favorite version of comedy news. Um, and, 
And he, this week, did an episode on Taiwan. Yay! Yay! And it is one of the better breakdowns of what's really happening out there. Like, and some fucking... I love that he can make jokes, but it's not racial. He's just good at making jokes, and they're fucking savage. Take some notes. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Um, which, we probably need a whole episode to break down Dave Chappelle, because so many conflicting thoughts there. Yeah. But, um, you know, one of the, the reporters whose work I've followed for a while, Clarissa Way, she's like a food a food writer, food journalist, and a journalist just in general. She's been living in Taiwan for a bit. She co-signed the episode. He references um, some work that she's done um, in the past, and and she was saying that it was one of the best breakdowns of Taiwan, mm-hmm. um, kind of like Taiwan-China relations. And so I... Um, watched this episode with extra fervor and mm-hmm. I and it didn't disappoint so check that out if you want to kind of learn a bit more about the dynamic it's helping me understand like my parents even more because essentially like like they grew up under martial law and they grew up when Taiwan was still like a dictatorship yep and but it had laid the groundwork for like the democratization of the country so it's like it, it's interesting like my parents left Taiwan at a very specific time and uh, and so you know they probably differ a lot from what people in Taiwan now believe and think um so just really interesting to kind of open my eyes on that okay and then second of all it's just like a fun little thing but i was up in um arrowhead um and there's a place there called the pepper palace I bought a bottle of their King Scotch Bonnet hot sauce. Oh, it's so good. It's fucking good. I just bought two more bottles. Like, I can't keep it in my pantry long enough. You can order it online. We'll have a link on our website. So, everyone, like, today's episode was really tricky. I would love if you applied some grace to yourselves and some grace to us. I appreciate that you guys are with us and, and, and working through these thought exercises together. And I hope you continue these conversations out in in the real world because... They need to happen more. So go and have these conversations. If you want to add to this conversation, please, as always, you can email us at hello at twohornyguts.com. We love voice notes. We love hearing your voices. We love hearing, you know, it's straight from the horse's mouth or write us a nice little email. Thanks for tuning in to the premiere. We have our very horny Zoom date coming out in three days. So on the 4th from 5 to 6 p.m., find more information on our website, uh, twohornygoats.com. Before we go, Roxy's going to pull a card for the collective. Don't forget Sun Queen Tarot. <laughs> Book your own reading. You guys, make sure to uh, RSVP on the Facebook invite as oh, well. This yes. way we need to know how many of y'all are coming. So I need to know how many alcohols to prepare. Yes. And not Rox, for you, but for, for us. <laughs> <laughs> and Rox, are you going to do maybe a little reading for some people during our little thing? I think it depends on how many okay. people show up. So the oh. more people show up, Uh-oh. the more I may be inclined to Uh-oh. do so. Maybe we should like raffle off like a free reading. Oh, that's a That'd good idea. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So everybody, like coming off, of this, coming off of this, like, you know, real juicy topic and uh it's a sort of a really rainy day here in los angeles let's go ahead and see if there's anything oh my gosh oh shit shit. the cards have spoken okay so uh today we have the world card and the world card is a major arcana card which talks about very significant endings and beginnings oh so some of you may be encountering uh, maybe breaking off a tie with someone, you know, that's like, that means a lot to you. Yeah. Endings, some sort of, but these are good endings. These are not like, you know, heartbreaking endings. These are not, these are very, very justified, very cool. Like if you're thinking about leaving a career, you feel yeah. confident about it. You don't feel scared from lack. You know, you're excited because the thing about the world is that in lieu of grand endings come grand beginnings. So the world card means leaving a significant chapter of your world behind in order to embrace a new one. So, um, 
that is if that resonates with you, please mm. let us know. I think the world is a beautiful card because like anything in life, nothing lasts forever, that mm. you take away a part of it in order to plant seeds for your new one. There, Wow. Okay. Yeah. Goodness. You know, the plant thing is a real thing. Oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> it's all over it. my energy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling that. Okay. We'll go end some things and start some things and we're going to be ending this thing (laughs) in order to start another episode sometime soon exactly but we will be back next week Mm -hmm. um and have a horny week our lovely goatees and remember stay horny What cost by In the Morning, a new music project from our very good friend Amanda Tran. Enjoy! I'm scared that I'm doing everything wrong when I'm just trying to get to know you. Get to know you. is hosted by Roxy and Prisca. Music by Abraham Kim. Artwork by Connie Yen. Please visit us at twohornygoats.com. Have thoughts or questions for us? Email us at hello at twohornygoats.com.
Oke, okay, okay, bye. bye.